As we come now to God's Word, if you'd like to read along with me, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians in chapter 1. That's Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 1. If you're reading out of the Pew Bible, it's a slightly different translation than mine, but it's essentially the same. If you were here last week, these words will sound familiar, but before we, before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord God, would you meet us here? Lord, we know that we can never work our way up to you, so we ask that you would come now to be with us and draw us into you. Lord, as we hear your word, would you help us to increase in knowledge, to increase in love, and to increase in faith? Guide us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Philippians in chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. If you were here with us last week, and, and even if you're not, uh, that's okay. Just a reminder to us that we're now beginning our read through uh, the book of Philippians. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at the city of Philippi. Now, there's lots of reasons why a person might write a letter to another. And if you're young, a letter is usually a piece of paper that has pen marks on it. It's sort of like an email, but old school. Um, but there's lots of reasons why you might send a letter. Paul, Paul sends letters to, to several churches in the first century, and there's lots of reasons why he sends them. A big reason why Paul often sends letters is to address particular issues in the church he's talking to. Because even people saved by Jesus need correction from sin. 
I assume that's no surprise to us. And so uh, when Paul, for example, is writing to the church at Corinth, he's correcting the issue in the very first chapter of the, that there was quarreling and divisions amongst the people in that church. And when he writes to the church at Galatia in the first chapter, he, he's correcting the issue of the fact that many are deserting Jesus and are distorting the gospel of Jesus. And when he writes to the church at Thessalonica in the second letter, he addresses the issue of idleness, that many are just sitting back or meddling in other people's business. And really, any church uh, needs correction. There's always areas of weakness of sin, personally, and then together we have particular tendencies. But in this letter to the Philippians... There's barely any correction there. Because in this letter, correction is not Paul's main focus. You can probably hear Paul's purpose in writing the letter in this opening, that he wants to give thanks to God for, as we talked about last week, their koinonia or their partnership, he says in those first verses. And he also prays for them. He wants to encourage them to continue in what's going on in their church. And that's not just a general prayer. He says what he is praying for them in these opening verses. You can see the content of the prayer in these uh, last three verses of the section we've read in verses 9 through 11. Um, and the, the summary of the prayer is in, is in the end of that. Verse 11, he says that you would be Filled with the fruit of righteousness. So the question for us this morning is, what does that mean? What does that look like for the Christian to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? He says uh, in verse 11 that this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, and that should be no surprise to us on some level. We know the words uh, righteous, the word righteous often goes with Jesus. In fact, John called uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ the righteous, meaning that Jesus is right. Jesus is good. Jesus is without sin. And Jesus is the only one who is like this on his own. We know that we are not righteous or unrighteous, that even the nicest people among us can at times harbor grudges and be fearful when they're called to be bold. We know that even the strongest people among us can at times be harsh or critical and be lacking in love. We know that even the most loving ones among us can at times be selfish and lacking in joy or truth. The scripture says that we are all unrighteous. So a large part of the gospel or the good news of Jesus is that through the work of Jesus on the cross and his death sacrifice once for all time, the Christian 
the one who comes by faith and repentance to Jesus, is counted righteous in the sight of God. That through Jesus, for the Christian, the debt of sin and the wrath of God upon sin is paid completely. We call this full payment of sin justification. It's a fancy word, but a a word you should know from the scripture, that to be justified is to be counted righteous in Jesus. So Paul, in the letter uh, to the Romans, uh, talks about this justification and clarifies for us a little bit uh, as he goes all the way back to Abraham in, in, in Genesis chapter 15. But he talks about this in Romans chapter 4. Just a few verses here. Uh, Paul says this, starting in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Let me sum up what Paul has just said there. He says, Abraham was justified or counted righteous, not by any works of his own. If that were the case, he says, uh, Abraham would relate to God sort of like an employee to a boss that you put in your time, you punch the clock, and at the end you take home the check of righteousness. That's common for folks to think that, but that is not true. That's not what Paul is saying. Uh, He says we don't relate to God by works as a wage, but by grace as a gift. And this is true for those who believe for those who put their faith in Jesus, for those who trust in Jesus. Paul says this uh, much more succinctly back in the book of Philippians in chapter 3. Just a single sentence, verse 9. Here's, it cuts in the middle of the sentence, but he says, uh, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but from that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So our righteousness then depends upon faith. Now, to be counted righteous does not mean that there is no earthly consequence for things. So let me give you an example. If you have kids or no kids, and your kid bops another on the head, because that happens all the time, no parent would just shrug and go, oh well, my child is counted righteous in Jesus. You'd probably do something about this. You'd say, you know, go to your room or give him a spanking or put him in timeout or, or something, however you discipline in your, in your home. 
And not just do you discipline them in that way, but usually you, you, you say, you need to say you're sorry. We're training our children to learn how to repent of sin. And so Christian living is the same, uh, that we need to be disciplined for our wrongs, that God does this out of love and for our good. We're still sons of God in this. It's still true of a Christian that though your sins were like scarlet, they are white as snow in Jesus. That the righteousness of Christ is secure for a a Christian. It can never be taken away throughout all eternity. And that's good. That's life for us. We should hang our hat on that. However, this is where some Christians stop. Here's the summary. I sin. Jesus is righteous. I'm counted righteous by faith in Jesus, by his sacrifice for sin. And I'm going to live with Jesus in heaven forever. Woohoo! The end. As, it's, as if that's the summary of the whole Christian life. Does it feel like things are missing out of that? Because it should. That's missing things. All of that's now true. It's just part of the larger picture. Let me show you why. Look at Paul's prayer. Let's look at what he actually says here in Philippians. Verse 11 here of chapter 1. His prayer is that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus. He does not say, I'm praying that you will be filled with righteousness that comes from Jesus, although that's also true. He prays that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus. Do you see the difference? It's subtle, but it's very important for us. That Jesus, for the life of a Christian, not only counts the Christian righteous, but he fills the Christian with the fruit of righteousness. So we can think of the difference sort of like this. Um, Flowers. We've had lots around our church here lately, and they are lovely, by the way. Well done to all who contributed. Uh, But we can think of the, the righteousness of a Christian as the stem. But the fruit of righteousness is what part? The flower. It's the display of the flower. It's the, it's the part that makes the flower a flower. It's what gives it its beauty. It's what actually draws us into that flower. It's what makes us want to look at it and, and want to go up and, and smell it. It's the same with the fruit of righteousness. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Did you ever sing the song when you were a kid about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? I said I'd never sing again in the microphone, but there, I did it again. Um, 
that all of these things, that's just a, you know, a summary, that's not all of them, but he's saying that it's not just that we're counted righteousness, but that that righteousness is actually producing things in us, that these things are the beautiful flower that displays Christ in the life of a Christian. So what are these fruits of righteousness that Paul mentions in Philippians? He lists just a few expressions here of what these are. Look at verse 9. He says, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. There's two things there. That your love will abound. That's really an act of the heart. He talked earlier about yearning with the affections of Jesus. That your love would abound. And then with knowledge and discernment. That's an act of the mind. And those two things are bound together. Now some of us are more inclined to be a little more cerebral. That That we're drawn to things that make us think and examine and ponder And others of us are more inclined to be more emotional. That we're drawn to things that make us feel and yearn and be passionate. And when those pieces, the cerebral and the emotional, are lived out in holiness, it is good. It is lovely. It is part of the uniqueness of the body of Jesus. His fullness lived out in us. It also means that we shouldn't Demean one if I'm drawn to the heart not to negate the mind. Or if I'm drawn to the mind not to just say, oh, those silly emotional people. Paul intertwines the two. That your love would abound with or in knowledge and discernment. And if you think about it, that intertwining actually makes a whole lot of sense Can love really abound without some level of knowledge? Can you really love a thing or a person that you do not know? And on the flip side, is knowledge really complete without some form of love or desire, some sense of being drawn to it? So these two things, the love and the knowledge and discernment, are not a seesaw that one's to go up as the other goes down, but they they share an elevator. They get on the space together, and and Paul says, I want them to get on the elevator together, and, and let's hit the top floor button. I want it to abound more and more. And when it does, you'll notice the outcome of this abounding, what, what, uh, the outcome of the increasing of this. He says in verse 10, the outcome is that you would approve what is excellent, my translation says. Uh, some translations uh, translate this, that you would discern what is best, or my personal favorite, that you would understand what really matters. The fruit of righteousness, in other words, is that Jesus would make us wise. That he would turn us into specialists of good things. 
And this is not just something that happens in heaven. This is something that's happening now. He says it's preparing us for the day of Christ until Christ returns. So part of the outcome for us now is that it's producing, he says, purity and blamelessness. We know blamelessness is, is lack of stumbling, that there's no, there's no rocks of sin, that we want to push those out of our path. But this word pure, some translations say sincere, uh, is a fascinating term. Paul's actually saying that this will make you sun-approved. Sun as in sun in the sky approved. Uh, so if you've ever seen uh, the TV shows about uh, pickers, is that the right term? It, it might say not. Yes, is that familiar? Uh, the, the people that go into old barns and warehouses and dig through the rubble to find things, and usually it's on like History Channel or something like that, and they bring out and show you all the history of the thing. But when a picker goes into a barn, they, they find something, and they go, ooh, this might be something. Now, how do they know? They've got their flashlight. But really, really to know if they've got something for real, they have to drag it out of that dark barn outside to see in the light of the sun, to, to check and see if it's got mold or rust, that it's even what they've thought, so that they can examine it by the light of the sun. It's the same way with the fruit of righteousness, that this is really sun approval, that the fruit of righteousness helps us to see a thing more clearly by the light of the sun. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15, this sort of sun approval. John 15. I'll read a few verses here, starting in verse uh, 1. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that uh, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so be proved to be my disciples. Jesus says here that we can only bear the fruit of righteousness in him, 
by his power, by his grace. And he gives a contrast. He says, there are fruitful branches that show that they are in me. And those branches I prune so that they'll bear even more fruit. But, he says, there are also fruitless branches that show by their fruitlessness that they are not in me. They show then that they are dead, withered branches to be thrown into the fire and burned. Either way, whether fruitful or fruitless, that fruitfulness or fruitlessness shows or proves whether the person is his disciple. In the context of Philippians, this would be an encouraging word. Because for the, the people in Philippi, they are really seeing fruitfulness. They're seeing an increase of love and of knowledge and growth toward blamelessness that when people would look at them, they would say, ah, that must be one of those Christians. These must be the followers of Jesus, who's the fullness of, of love and knowledge and blamelessness. But this discussion of fruitfulness is not always encouraging. Because for some, we do not see growth of the fruit of love and knowledge and blamelessness. Perhaps, then, for some, they are fruitless branches. They may be dead and not even know it. And for those people, they are in danger of being thrown into the fire and burned. Burr. As I come now toward the end here, I'll rarely do this, but just for a moment, I want you to empathize with my plight here as a preacher. Because here's the situation that I'm facing on the other side of the pulpit. I know that I have to speak to all of us at once, which means that I'm addressing a lot of different people and situations and circumstances and backgrounds all at the same time with situations beyond what I know, far beyond what I know. And I am aware that there may be some of us here listening who might be withered and fruitless branches, who are floating down a river of ease that flows into the lake of fire, that there are perhaps some of us who are dead branches and don't even know it. And these need to be shaken awake to the danger that they face so that they would repent and turn to God by the grace of Jesus. There are others who are listening to me now 
who are growing in fruitfulness, even if they might have trouble seeing it in their own lives, so much so that they might be plagued by fear and guilt and doubt. For these people, we need to be comforted by the truth of the gospel, to be nourished with a drink from the true vine of Jesus. And I don't know which of these is true of each of you, whether you're the fruitless or the fruitful. And I have to trust that the Spirit is wise and works to apply these things in our lives. Although we would do well to examine honestly our own lives and see which we think we fit in and maybe even involve others to help us, ones who know us well. We know that Paul and Jesus even sometimes out of love give very sharp rebukes like to the Corinthians or to the Galatians. But other times, as here with the Philippians, Paul gives us a prayer of encouragement. Philippians, continue to grow. I, I know that your love and your knowledge is present I just want it to abound, to be more and more. There's always space to grow bigger, to bear even more fruit than is already there. The most encouraging part of this section, then, to me, is that Paul compares righteousness, the outcome of righteousness, to fruit. And a fruit tree does not have fruit appear Overnight. Fruit appears slowly, steadily, over the course of time in the nourishment of the tree. It gives me space to be patient with myself. That's why Paul says, by the way, that he always prays for them, that, he's, that he keeps on seeking God's grace for them, that the Lord would grow him in his time. We want that sort of prayer for us, too, that we pray this section here of Philippians for ourselves, for each other. Please pray it for me. In fact, uh, this is the jogger verse this month in your insert. Clip it out of the bulletin if you'd like and stick it on your fridge or your mirror at home, wherever you'd see it often, and pray this for one another. That we're asking God really to work in us because this sort of fruit of righteousness only comes through Jesus. He is its source. And as we continue to draw near to Jesus, we will begin to see new buds of the fruit of righteousness blossom in our lives. And all of this fruitfulness will lead us to give him thanks and to bring glory and praise to God.
Would you please pray with me? Our Lord, would you make our love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do this in us, we ask, by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.